Well, good morning. We are continuing this morning in this short sermon series where we're looking at the prophets Elijah and Elisha from First and Second Kings. After King David's reign had ended, Israel was fractured and the religious fidelity had faded with God's people. And so our God raised up these two prophets to call the people back to the God of the living from the fake gods they were worshiping. And today we get another story in the life of Elisha of our God who pursues people back to himself. So I'm going to read for us from 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. You can follow along your order of worship or just listen as I read. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because of him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's homes. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand to call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over his place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he not actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This is God's word and is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that you are the God of the nations. You are the God of the world. We are going to see that in this passage. And so we ask, as we think about the country of Haiti that is still dealing with the aftermaths of the earthquake, that you would help the people that are caring for those that are sick and needy and homeless and broken. Father, as we hear about this storm coming onto Louisiana, strong, this hurricane, we pray for protection and safety. We pray that your hand will be upon that state and New Orleans and the places that will be impacted greatly by this storm. And Father, you are the God of the nations, and we pray for peace in Afghanistan. We pray for protection of your people. We pray for those that are trying to get out that can't. We pray for 
Yeah, all that's going on there. And Lord, for our own lives, we pray that you are the same God of the nations. You are also our God that cares for our needs right now. Meet us in this time. In your name, amen. So I was away from Covenant for a bit, and when I got back, I was told that I was preaching this morning, and I was told that this passage I just read was the passage I was to preach on. So I read through the passage, and I thought, okay. And then I was talking to Pastor David, and he said to me, oh man, you have an amazing passage to preach. So I went and reread the passage again, and I thought, oh, okay. And then Pastor Aaron said to me, I gave you a softball of a passage, meaning he gave me a really easy passage to preach. Now I got to tell you, having one of the pastors telling me it's an amazing passage, and one of the pastors telling me that it's an easy passage, put a little pressure on me as I was preparing for this sermon. So I read the passage again, and then Pastor Aaron said to me, you should read the Jesus Storybook Bible on this account. And I got to tell you, when I did, I began to realize this is an amazing passage. If you're not familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, it is a wonderful depiction of various stories in the Bible, including this one. And it was very amazing to read for me. What really struck me about this passage was I see in this passage a character that I wish I wasn't more like. And I also see in this passage a character that I wish I was more like. And more importantly than that, I see in this passage the character of our God and his mercy and grace to us. So what I want to do with you this morning is I want to just walk through this passage and look at these two characters and the character of our God together. The first character we see, we're introduced to is Naaman. He was a commander of the Syrian army. Syria had recently fought and won a battle against Israel, and Naaman was the chief military leader for the king of Syria. His position and his success in victory made him a great man who was highly favored by the king. He was called in our passage a mighty man of valor. Naaman seems like a man who has everything. He was successful. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He was highly respected. But he had leprosy. He had an infectious disease, some sort of patchy disfigurement of his skin. Now the fact that he is not living in isolation during this time makes me think that he might not have had the worst case of leprosy that some did in the scriptures. But he had a bad enough skin condition that he was willing to travel a long way to his enemy's king with a lot of money to try to get healing from this disease. Naaman was a successful man. Naaman was a great man, but he was a leper. Now, some of the commentaries that I read preparing for this sermon point out how this is a good picture of how often human experience plays out. See, no matter how successful or how comfortable or how powerful you come across or I come across, none of us are safe from struggles and difficulties. We live in a broken world, and until God returns and makes all things right, we cannot deny this truth or try to hide this truth from others. No amount of intellect, no amount of money, no amount of success, no amount of accolades can prevent you or someone you love from having illness come upon you. All the the intellect and the money and the success you have can't stop the betrayal that might happen in your life by someone that you care for. All the things that shows success in your life can't prevent struggles and disappointment 
and hardships coming upon you. Many of you know this all too well presently. And some of us try to deny or hide from this truth in our lives. Maybe, like me, you see in Naaman something that you see in yourself today. We live in the illusion of self-sufficiency. We try to avoid pain or let others see that we are in pain. We got this. We have what it takes to meet the demands of our dreams and our responsibilities. We are strong enough to handle anything that's brought before us. See, I don't like to think of myself as a prideful person. I don't think I'm a prideful person. But this illusion of self-sufficiency, I often see in my life. And maybe you see it in your life as well. We think we have what it takes in and of ourselves to overcome anything. We believe we and of ourselves have what it takes to fix what is wrong. We don't let others in to see our pain because we want to pretend like we don't have pain. And when we do let people in, we let them in at times expecting them to give us what we think we deserve or earn because we've worked so hard. This is what we see here in this man Naaman. We hear about this, he hears about this prophet who might heal him. And so with great pomp and circumstances, he gets a letter from the king of Syria and he fully expects that he will get what he wants when he goes before the king of Israel. Verse 5 says that he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, and a letter from the king of Syria. Naaman went to Israel with 700 pounds of silver and 125 pounds of gold, plus all these all these clothing items that were made for royalty. He believes that his wealth and his status will get him what he wants. And when the king of Israel can't help him, it says in verse 9 that he took his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's home. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha, the prophet, did not even appear before this important man. He sent one of his servants. Naaman is furious. It says in verse 11, I thought that he would surely come out to me. He didn't like the fact that his status did not give him the respect he thought he earned. And he definitely did not like the solution given to him to go wash in the water seven times. See, Naaman was a great man and he expected great things to happen to him. Naaman expected that he would need more than just taking a bath to get healing. You see, anyone could go into that river, even without the success and the wealth and the accolades and the letter from the king. Anyone could go into the river just like him. You have to imagine Naaman thinking, who is this guy treating me like I'm like anyone else? He felt he deserved more. He felt he earned the right for more. And he wanted more. How often do we live like we deserve more from others, from our life, from our God, because we think we've done enough and we deserve more? How often do we expect God to treat us differently than others because of what we bring to the table? You know, we must abandon our pride and our pretense. We must abandon and repent of our self-sufficiency. Now, I don't know why Elisha never appears before Naaman. He tells the king, bring him to me, and then he sends a messenger. 
Maybe this is a way God was using this prophet to confront Naaman's pride. Maybe this is a way to get Naaman to see his self-sufficiency and the expectations that he had that were completely wrong. It is clear he had wrong expectations about how things would go down. These are the words of Naaman, he said. Behold, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman already had written the script for how God was going to heal his problem. Naaman wanted something more dramatic than just a word of promise from the prophet. Are we any different? How often do you and I have expectations of how God should work in our lives? And when he doesn't work fast enough or in the way that we expect, we get disappointed. How often do we have a script in our mind of how God is going to make things better for us and do what we need to have happen in our timeline? How often are we disappointed in God in who or what he brings into our lives when we have needs. They're not what we want. We want more. I definitely find myself confused at God and disappointed at the way God moves slowly in my life and in the life of people I care for. See, God's ways are not our ways. God's kingdom is often one of simplicity and weakness, not flashy and powerful. This is true, even if I don't always like it. And it's actually quite beautiful. Our Old New Testament reading today explains a little bit about how God works in his kingdom. The Apostle Paul writes these words, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. God often uses insignificant means to accomplish his purposes. God often chooses insignificant people like you and me for his purposes. God often chooses weakness over strength, and this is good news for you and I today. We see this truth played out in the second character I want to look at this morning. Compared to this great, powerful, and prideful man, we have this unnamed young servant girl who is truly amazing, in my humble opinion. We have this girl who was taken away from Israel in one of the raids, probably led by Nahum himself, and now she was in slavery to Nahum's wife. We don't know her full story. We don't know what happened to her family. Did her family get killed? Are they in slavery? We don't know how old she is. We don't know how long she's been in this situation in Syria. But here's what we do know. She was an alien living in a foreign land without any of the rights of someone born in Syria. She was young. She was a woman. And she was a slave. It would be hard to find another person in ancient Syria on a lower level and hierarchy of the day than her. Yet she was a woman who still held on to faith in the God of Israel. She was a woman who believed in the power and the hope of her God despite her situation. And she was ready to share about this hope with others, including the very person that brought her into captivity. She wished Nahum, her captor, would meet Elisha and he would cure him of his leprosy. 
This little girl knew about Elisha and had confidence in God's power through him to heal this man. I mean, think about the truth of this story here. Without this little, insignificant, captive girl, powerful Nam would have never been healed. Sometimes the means that God brings about to bring people to himself seems insignificant and weak. But the question that I have to ask is, why isn't this girl more angry at Nam? Why don't we read about her being at least a little bit bitter towards the fact that she's taken from her homeland and put into slavery into this military leader's home? And why does she still believe and promote God's power and provision, even though that same God did not protect her when they came to take her captive? I think that's what really struck me the most about this story. Why did God allow her to be taken captive in the first place? And why is this girl still promoting a God who did not protect her from Naaman? I don't have an answer to that question. I mean, we know that God used this woman's captivity to bring about change in Naaman's life. But it doesn't make it easier for me, at least, to understand this girl's situation. It is hard at times to wonder why God doesn't always protect those who love him, who serve him, who want to be faithful to him. And what even is worse in my mind at times is it looks like God protects and takes care of people that don't give a rip about him. And I don't understand it. I mean, it's hard in our account here that the enemy of God's people, God is helping. Why? Verse 1, we've already talked about Nahum's description, but it says, Nahum was the commander of the Lord, king of Syria was a great man and his master in high favor. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. The Lord God had given victory to the enemies of God's people. Why? Because the Lord is not just in control of Israel. He's in control of the whole world. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who are in it. I don't know about you, but I personally want God to be in control of my life and in the lives of the people I love and care for. I want God to protect me and not necessarily others, but God is in control of all. And God sometimes works in ways that we don't understand for his glory and his kingdom. And because this is true, and I believe it is true as we see over and over again in scripture, I wish I had even just a little bit more faith like this young girl who believed in this God and his provision despite her situation. I mean, this little girl had more faith than almost anyone in this story. She has more faith in God than the king of Israel himself, who part of his responsibility was to lead the people in faith. When Naaman comes to this king in verse 7, we read that the king freaks out, thinks it's a trap, and says, I'm not God, I can't do this. And he's right. He's not God. But he has a prophet that promotes God's kingdom right in his midst. And the king never thinks about asking Elisha to come forward. This young girl knew about Elisha, and yet the king of Israel doesn't even mention Elisha to Nahum. The king of Israel is useless, but this captive girl brings about Nahum to eventually go to Elisha. And so he goes there, 
and he doesn't like what he's told, and he doesn't like that he wasn't meeting the prophet himself, and he begins to pout, and he begins to complain at what Elisha had him do to be healed, and some other seemingly insignificant, not powerful people step up and help him out. Naaman's servants, his slaves, challenge Nahum, confront Nahum, this powerful man, to get in the water if he wants to be clean, and he finally does. And after seven times of dipping in the Jordan River, his flesh is clean like a baby. And even more amazing than his flesh being restored was that his heart was restored. If you continue to read on in 2 Kings 5, you get to hear these words of Nahum. He says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This man was healed not just physically but spiritually. And this is a good thing. So what is our application to all this? Don't be like Nahum. Be like this little girl. No. I mean, yes, I kind of wish we were more like the little girl than Nahum, but the point of the story is not to be like one character or not. The point of the story is to see the character of our God. I mean, think about this for a moment. We are in a sermon series on Elijah and Elisha, and I have barely mentioned Elisha at all. And in fact, Elisha is not even there when Nahum gets healed. Nahum does not get healed because of the great character of the prophet Elisha. Nahum gets healed because of the great character of our living God who is active and present. And God still is active and present today in our lives. And our only hope when we come to God is knowing it is only in Him and Him alone that we have hope. We can't buy our way to God like Nahum tried to do. We can't buy our way to God by our moral law or our record or how well we are perceived by others. We can't get to God to like us more by promising him we'll do better next time. By listing off the ways we are better than others. By celebrating our good things we did for him this week. We cannot earn God's love. God gives the love and grace to undeserving women and men, and every single one of us in this room are undeserving of this. I mean, think again about Nahum. Here he was, not an Israelite, a foreigner, not a part of God's chosen people. He was an enemy to God's chosen people, and not only that, he was ceremonially unclean because of his leprosy, yet God moves into his life and causes him to believe. His status as a powerful military leader did not get him to God, and his situation as a leper and unclean did not prevent God from bringing him to himself. We cannot earn God's love. The reality of our lives and the lives of everyone around us is to know that we are unclean and we need washing. And while we do not have the illness of leprosy, we have an illness we can't fix on our own, and that is our sin. And the good news of the gospel is God sees our uncleanliness, God sees our messiness, God sees our sin and still pursues us and loves us. The good news of the gospel is that God offers us undeserving cleansing despite of how many times we fail him. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to bring anything to the table to get to God. Believe this for yourself today, for the first time or the hundredth time. And may we believe this about the people in our lives that we care for. That spouse or that child 
or that family member or that close friend that does not believe and you think there's no hope that they will ever change, our God still is working in people's lives today. Even if we can't see it, we have to believe that and trust that God is in control. That God was moving in Nahum's life through this insignificant servant girl and God is moving in your life and other people's lives today right now even if we don't see it. We must believe the same God of this story that offers hope and forgiveness and cleansing is the same God we worship today. And God doesn't use the waters of Jordan to cleanse us. God uses the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. And we are set free from our sin. And we can know, despite all of our weakness and our sin and our brokenness, God loves us enough to die for us. And it is that hope that offers us clean hearts and offers us new lives. May we believe this and may it motivate us to love and serve our God more. Let us pray. God, we do not understand you often. But if we are to believe the scriptures, you are good. You are in control, and you are a God of love who loves us dearly. May we believe that, and may we, as we take of this bread and this wine in just a moment, be reminded of how much you love us and how much you have done for us to set us free from our sins, and may that give us the motivation to love and serve you and others with the good news of the gospel that we believe in. In your name, amen.